lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for joining us here today. Live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre. They are here with me as well. If you would like to join us today, 888-900-3393 is the number to the Blaze. That's 888-900-3393. You can also let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the show. That's D-E-A-C try liking us on Facebook, although those tries are getting more and more successful as Facebook continues to grow, albeit at a snail's pace, uh, our Facebook page. So we appreciate that. Uh, also, you can follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. And if you're looking for clips of the show that you can sample and share with others, go to youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And the last name is D-E-A-C-E. And don't forget, if you're not yet a subscriber to Blaze TV, there's never been a better time than right now. First of all, we need all the platforms asking the questions that our media won't ask that we can get right about now. And we're doing that here at The Blaze. But we also have made it cheaper for you than ever before. $5 and change a month is all it costs right now. When you go to blazetv.com slash dace and use the promo code Steve, blazetv.com slash dace and use the promo code steve i've got to believe we've done at least one show in this recent past that's been worth about five bucks and if we haven't somebody here at the blaze has because we do exclusive content for you at blaze tv that we don't share with the general public like our overtime when we'll be breaking down a devastating political ad that the Trump campaign just released. You'll get a chance to see it here in a moment, courtesy of Aaron's montage. We'll be breaking that down today in the overtime. You don't want to miss it. BlazeTV.com slash Dace, promo code Steve. We've got a jam-packed show as we typically do on a Tuesday, fake news or not coming your way. Uh, my good friend Mark Meckler from the Convention of States is going to be joining us a little bit later on, except now he is campaigning to open the states. And some states announced yesterday that that they're doing just that. So we'll talk about that as well. And then for Pop Culture Tuesday, I, I watched a documentary on Amazon produced by Vice. So, you know, not necessarily our native tongue around here, right? <laughs> no. um, but it's called The Devil You Know. And I, I wanted to see how a leftist, progressive, humanistic worldview explains objective evil when they're confronted with it. And it was fascinating to watch how they addressed this topic that they chose to confront in this documentary. We'll get to that later on uh, with Pop Culture Tuesday. But until we get there, we must begin first and foremost with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were in lockdown. What happened while we were locked down brought to you by something that should have happened long ago. President Trump announced last night that his administration is suspending immigration into the United States on a temporary basis in response to the ongoing Wuhan coronavirus pandemic. Just to give you a heads up, uh, headlines tomorrow are going to be something, something, something. Judge strikes down Trump executive order. But a guy can hope. What a guy can also hope for is speedy justice coming for those who carry out immense evil and cause suffering on grand scale. 
scales, which appears could be happening to North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. Reports first circulated last night on CNN <clears throat> saying the god king of the hermit kingdom was in grave danger following a surgery. This morning, South Korean news outlets disputed that report, saying there's no indication Kim was in any danger. That report was followed up once more by Bloomberg White House correspondent Jennifer Jacobs, who reported the Trump administration has indeed received information that Kim Jong-un had heart surgery last week, and if he's alive, his health is in poor condition. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is Schrodinger's dictator. Back to the virus, crude oil for the May contract completely and utterly crashed yesterday. For the first time in history, oil was trading in the negative per barrel. That means oil companies are actually having to pay to have their products stored because demand is so low. Prices for the May contract rebounded to negative $4 this morning, while the June contract started its plummet as well. You may remember CNN anchor and brother of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, Chris Cuomo, saying a couple weeks ago he had contracted the Wuhan coronavirus. He's been doing his show from his home ever since. And I was shivering so much that Sanjay's right. I chipped my tooth. These are not cheap. I'm telling you I was hallucinating. I, my, my, my dad was talking to me. Last week, Cuomo complained and claimed he was a cop by a bicyclist in New York for breaking his quarantine. So naturally, CNN posted this video last night. All right, here it is. The official re-entry from the basement. Cleared by CDC. A little sweaty. Just worked out. It happens. This is what I've been dreaming of. Yes, that's Chris Cuomo claiming to be leaving his basement for the first time in weeks. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... Elizabeth City Police shot this video for us to show us how drones work. The drones make it easier for police to see into certain areas where access by patrol cars is more difficult. That includes tight spaces between buildings, behind schools, and in backyards. Failure to comply could lead to a summons or a $1,000 fine. A new serological study from the University of Southern California estimates approximately 4.1% of Los Angeles's population has antibodies to the Wuhan coronavirus. The estimate means the true number of those who have been infected is at least 28 to 55 times higher than those who have tested positive for the virus in Los Angeles. Dr. John Ioannidis, an epidemiologist at Stanford University, was interviewed once more about recent developments in research about COVID-19. So we had a sample of residents in Santa Clara County uh, evaluated for the presence of uh, antibodies. And uh, the sample was uh, 3,300 people uh, who came to be tested. We estimated that based on what we saw, between uh, 2.5 and 4.2% of the population of uh, the county has antibodies, which is uh, an indication that uh, they have been infected uh, with the virus uh, uh, a while ago. If you take these numbers into account, they suggest that uh, the infection fatality rate for this new coronavirus is likely to be in the same ballpark as seasonal influenza. Can you imagine um, any way to ascertain the deaths that will be caused by this lockdown in deaths of despair, suicide, the, the after effects from loss of work. Is there even an epidemiological way to count the devastation that has been wrought by the lockdown? 
I think that the devastation can be uh, extreme and it can be far worse than anything that coronavirus can do. We've, we've never seen such an acute meltdown. We've never seen such uh, a set of uh, perfect storm circumstances. In some ways, it could mean also that uh, maybe we could be a bit more optimistic. For example, if this thing goes away for one reason or another, let's say seasonality or suddenly the virus disappears, of course, that's a very optimistic scenario. And then everybody just forgets about it and goes back to work and just do whatever they used to do. One might argue that the damage will not be that severe. However, as you realize, this is not uh, a scenario that is uh, so easy to imagine, uh, even if uh, all the data tend to be optimistic, even if the cases start going down, the entire society has gone through a stage of shock. Uh, it's very difficult to convince people to start doing again what they used to do. They will have fear, justifiably so. Uh, they will avoid lots of things and it will take some time to get back to normalcy, even if the virus kind of, quote-unquote, disappears. And finally, perhaps the most devastating political ad of maybe the 21st century. We turn now to that $350 billion fund to help small businesses and its workers get through the shutdown. It will be up to Congress to restock it. But Democrats blocking that move this morning. They asked for a quarter of a trillion dollars in 48 hours. I said, well, I don't, I don't think so. They objected, and I congratulate the Senate Democrats. Speaker Pelosi, what are you going to share with us from your home? Chocolate candy. Thousands have been forced to wait for hours at food banks all across the country. This is... Oh, my... Chocolate, and then we have some other chocolate here. We just got it restocked with the ice cream. You don't want to eat up everything all at one time. I can't do it much longer. I'm trying so hard. We were, can we say, enjoying. Having to admit that, yeah, we're... We're starving, and I like it better than anything else. Taping this segment, there are 22 million people out. This specific program is about stopping job losses today. This is hurting people bad. Other people in our family go for some other flavors, but right now it's survival move. You don't know where that next something else is going to come from. I don't know what I would have done if ice cream were not invented. I just wonder. <laughs> And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by a brand new partner here on the show. They're called the Classic Learning Test. Um, and it's also referred to as the CLT exam. It would have been impossible even as recently as a few months ago to imagine a scenario in which the SAT or ACT would actually cancel all of their tests for the spring. Under different circumstances, this would be a dream come true uh, for the CLT as they look to challenge those two competitors. But uh, no companies want their big breaks to come as the result of an international pandemic. However, CLT has actually been around as a preparing solution for years. Rather than canceling any tests due to COVID-19, CLT has tripled the testing dates available for this spring. Most importantly, they are making the CLT available to students via remote proctoring at home. So CLT CLT has been developing and piloting this technology for nearly a year. Their initial plan was to utilize remote proctoring as an option for students living in extremely rural areas, but they're excited to make it available to all students given the current pandemic because a lot of parents and students in America still don't know about the CLT 
as a third option. And many colleges are now looking at the CLT as a third option as well. The exams are taken online in just two hours with same-day results. So the classic learning test, you can register for the April 25th official college entrance exam or the April 29th CLT 10. Visit cltexam.com to do so. That's cltexam.com. Again, both exams can be taken from the comfort of your own home. cltexam.com. All right, I lied. Um, we got to talk about that ad. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about uh, something else uh, uh, with the overtime today. That ad is, and maybe I'm just jonesing to do some, you know, hardcore frivolous politics given everything else we've been doing for the last month and a half. But that ad guys is a, that's, that's a haymaker. That ad is yikes. If you recall, uh, on Friday, uh, when we did our, uh, worst of the, um, bleep Democrats say, yeah, the raw footage of the interview was mine, which and is on I, the the James Corden show, on the yeah. James, and and obviously his people intuited the same thing as well, and that's why I said as much. I mean, the the, the optics are so out of touch. There's no self awareness there whatsoever. Yeah, and you know, even even with our enemies, you need to offer like like the Chris Cuomo thing. I honestly, he, yes, he's a hack, but I think people right now are obsessing way too much about about uh that point out the hypocrisy but but it's like it's 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 not it's not new but uh and it's not particularly everybody's searching for weird content these days nancy pelosi though that is just the perfect window into who she is all the time and how devastatingly out of touch it is with real people their real needs reality itself and so that we've been begging Donald Trump, quite frankly, ever since before he was elected to do this, mm-hmm. to get this. <clears throat> Bravo. It's a devastating ad. I mean, it's one of the most it's one of the most devastating ads I've ever seen. It, it would it's up there with a with a Willie Horton. Uh, well, you know, I I don't know Brad Parscale, the team that the guy who's running his team. I don't know him at all. But I, I, uh, the last ad that he had with uh, with with Joe Biden, um, and, I mean, and and China, I mean, that ad was devastating. So I don't know, Aaron. You called it the. I mean, if you're saying it's the best ad of this century, it's basically you think it's one of the best political ads that you've ever seen, right? Probably yes. Um, but I'm not trying to brag. I basically did that ad on Friday and believe Democrats say uh, I was just ahead of the curve there. So I, I'm more complimenting myself on being a, a ahead of the curve and basically giving the idea to do that. I'm going to take all the credit for that. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> if imitation's the highest form of flattery, what is imitation of your imitation? What is, what is that? What's imitation of your imitation? I think that's what Aaron just attempted here on the show. Let's get to um, some of the other news. Uh, I know you want to cut Cuomo some slack. I mean, he's- I have, I have none. I have, I, it, again, it's a total lack of self-awareness. It's a total lack of self. And, and then just to go out there and pretend like this is the first time you've been out of your basement and everything else when we know otherwise, I, I mean, it's just, I, I I'm don't, not cutting them I don't have any, I have, no, I, you're I, right. I have negative I integer have, slack. I have I've got no less slack. slack than the price of oil per barrel right now. That's what I have. I have no slack. I just don't, I have no care. 
that's my problem. I, I now that might be accurate, right? Like I've I, I've given up expecting anything of remote responsibility from that channel quite a long time ago, uh, and it, it it was actually what six or seven weeks, no, about eight weeks ago, today that they sent two of their producers to come and meet with uh, me. Wasn't it about two months ago, Aaron? I think it was. Yeah. Or maybe it was three months ago because it was in January. It seems longer than yeah. two, but so every, it was three, everything Three months seems... ago. I know, I remember it was on a Tuesday, right? So um, uh, Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday, met with CNN on a Tuesday. So Tuesday, three weeks ago, or three months ago today is when CNN sent uh, two producers here to talk to me about a collaboration. And then after they heard what I actually thought, miraculously, I never heard from them again, right? So I have, I, I, I have no, to quote the great prophets, Led Zeppelin, no quarter. I don't have Agreed. I, I just take comfort in when it comes to the polls that weigh and measure all of the American institutions, government, and it is, media is at the very, very bottom. That gives me great solace, Steve. I, I will agree with you. I will agree with you on that. The oil story. Um, not only is is this the first time this has happened in the history of the oil market, I don't know, you know, I mean, you'll have a seasonal demand decline in the price per oil, right? I mean, we travel less in the wintertime, right? Okay. You travel more in the summer, okay? And so gas goes up, gas goes down. But this level of a decline driven by demand, I don't know that we've ever seen anything like that either. Because the vast majority of time that you see stark spikes, it's because it's based on supply, all right? Something has happened geopolitically to mess with the supply line of oil. Um, so, you know, OPEC is playing politics with the price for oil, right? There's war in Iraq. This is based solely on demand. So I am not a market analyst, just a generic one. I'll do my best take on this, though. What I think is going on is... They have no place to store all this oil because we're not using it. And so they, they're essentially going to drive down the price so they can justify no longer pumping it. And then, and, and I don't think it's a coincidence. I could be wrong. I don't think it's a coincidence that the timing of let's reopen America and now the oil price plummets. Um, I don't know that I think I buy that that's coincidental. I think this is being timed specifically for warmer weather, a more open country, more travel, and then we don't pump. We have, and the, we have no place to store it. Is you know you've you've heard me say over the years in politics, there's the there's the right reason people do things, and then there's the real reason. Okay, so the right reason is we have no place to store all this oil, except President Trump yesterday. There's one thing that man understands. All right. It is how to buy low and sell high. Mr. President said yesterday, we got some places to store some oil. <laughs> we can, we, we'll come up with, we, we got some land to store it. We'll buy a few billion barrels of that at the cheapest possible rate and stash it in our strategic petroleum reserve, which I thought was a, a brilliant move. Okay. So uh, apparently there is some space to store this oil, at least here in the United States anyway. But I think the, we, we're out of space to store the oil. Let me, I, that's the, that's the right reason. I think the real reason is because I think aren't the futures still trading around twenty five dollars a barrel for next for June for June somewhere around there I think I saw it's too in that ballpark. So yeah. here's what I think the real reason is: 
is they're trying to time a massive profit spike for when these countries are going to be reopening. And the weather is warmer. People want, want to just get out anyway, travel anyway. The weather is warmer. So what you do right now is you stop pumping it right now as we have no place to store it. Crash the price so that there's not an incentive to pump it because you know, it would cost more to take it out of the ground now than what you can bring it to market for, right? So you stop pumping it now, um, and then you create a shortage of supply for when the demand begins to slowly but surely creep back up here in the summer months to come soon. And, and then you, uh, you, know, you make your profit back in the increase because the demand spikes up. That's what I think is occurring. But I'm, this is not my expertise, per se, but that's just, you know, I'm just doing some math from afar. Could be totally off, but that's what I think is going on. I have no argument at all uh, with that, and it's just talking about it leads to a discussion more broadly, as does everything, about the, the folly of when people, you know, said, how you, you, do you want old people to die? How dare you obsess about the economy? The, the permutations of this continue to boggle the mind you know when you have world energy collapse issues mm -hmm. again do you want to throw do you want grandma well, to this, die in this, my face this brings us back to the imperial college study which, yes. which which much of what you have seen around the western world including in this country its genesis is that is that is that is that model that is the model that inspired the White House's 15 days to flatten the curve. The language flatten the curve and everything that you, the nomenclature you got to know in March all is right out of that study. It's all right out of that study. And, and one of the biggest benefactors, one of the mishavishams of, 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 of Imperial College is Jeremy Grantham, who's a billionaire that's given almost all of his wealth to confronting uh, climate change and the energy bubble that he thinks has been a 250-year bubble caused by fossil fuels. And so what are we not using right now? Those. Now, also keep in mind, though, it's, this is about more than how you just get from here to there, right? So many of the products that you buy are petro-based products beyond just what you're, putting in your, what you're putting in your vehicle around the world. So... This kind of a drop indicates one of two things. Extreme pessimism about where things are going in the near future. Or extreme optimism about where things are going in the near future. So let me, let me, let me crash the price now so that, that the supply chain is disrupted later and I can jack up the price and capitalize on it later. All right? I am guessing it's the latter. And the reason why I'm guessing it's the latter is because we're getting more and more of this data, more and more of these serology tests, like what came out of Los Angeles County yesterday, whose numbers mirror a lot of what you saw from Stanford. Well, Steve, it's in the same state. Folks, Santa Clara County and Los Angeles County are 341 miles away from one another. I mean, I would guess the, the, the border to Iowa in either direction is about 341 miles, right? And I mean, in most cases or somewhere around that, mm -hmm. the entire state. Um, it, 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 it's a day's drive to get from Los Angeles County to um, to Santa Clara County. It's not a hop, skip, and a, and a jump. California is a rather large state. Uh, the climates of those two states are even a little bit different. Uh, Northern California gets colder than it does in Southern California, for example. So 
Uh, Also, the California Department of Health had monitored this survey that USC did. And I know USC is renowned as a football school, but there's a reason why all these big wigs were trying to bribe their kids way into getting in. This is considered an elite private university. It was rated by US News and World Report, the number 22 university in the country last year. Just one spot behind Cal Berkeley, one spot ahead of uh, the University of Michigan and, and, and then NYU. This is an elite university. And its results were getting printed all over the Los Angeles Times and all over the Southern California media today. And there's a lot of folks that are reading that now that are asking them. You already were seeing protests in California before. And now that you got this kind of data, people are going to say, what? Well, some people will. I think John Ioannidis is right that there's another group of people that will, you know, they will cling to this idol of panic until the last. And that's fine. I'm happy if they do that. There's just more freedom and liberty, therefore, for the rest of us then. Uh, But uh, if you're already having protests in California and now they're telling you that far more people are infected than we currently believe, therefore, the case fatality rate is is, dramatically diminishes. I, I, I don't I don't know. That, that helps your effort to keep people pinned down. Sweden uh, just published an antibody study. Uh, did you see this one that I came did. out? I yes. right. uh, That came out today. And it showed at least 11% of the country. They surveyed their entire country. It showed at least 11% of the country had antibodies. Maybe as high as one third already in Stockholm, which as I told you yesterday when we talked about Sweden, about 15% of the entire population of Sweden lives in Stockholm alone. So when I did the comparison between Sweden and and Michigan, Michigan has far more people per square mile, even though their total populations are similar. Michigan has far more people per square mile than Sweden does. But Michigan doesn't have any concentration of population in in one city like Sweden does, where 15% of its population lives in just one city, Stockholm. And what they found there is a third of those people already uh, had were presented with antibodies. So the more and more of this data that comes out, I think, I think this also ties into uh, the president formally, it, closing the border is one thing, formally ending immigration is another. Because that, that, indi- that, that now will give you um, an authority or an instant authority from a deportation standpoint um, that maybe you thought you didn't have before. And where are you seeing outbreaks now in a couple of these rural states, like the one we live in in Iowa? Where are we seeing these outbreaks? Meatpacking plants. That impacts the supply chain. Who primarily works at a lot of these meatpacking plants? Illegals Immigrants, do. illegal or otherwise. Yeah, yeah, illegals typically do. So I think a lot of these things these stories kind of tie together. I don't think these are just all um, idle coincidences, but I think they are more of a, uh, uh, of a tapestry that are kind of getting weaved together here to show you which way that this is trending. What are you guys' thoughts? Well, have you noticed how the goalposts in the light of the serology tests are being moved yet again? Mm-hmm. I mean, even in the face uh, of the, um, the bend the curve thing, and the fact that, that it was built in, that it was at peak social distances, they, distancing, they still chose to say, well, it's because we bent the curve. They were sticking to that. Well, the serology, you can't stick to that anymore it, it, with serology. So honestly, in the last couple of days, you hear, well, we, we, we had to err on the safe side. And that's what they're going to do. The more it the, just the more cases we have, the more prevalent it is. They're going to say, "Well, we couldn't have known if they, if this was going to kill a bunch of people or not." And they're just going to go with we had to err on the safe.
safe yep. side. So it brings us right where yeah. we were in the very beginning yeah. about yep. panic. Yeah, yeah. And, and team team lockdown right now. Their big push over the last week and a half or so has been, well, we got we got to have more testing. We got to have more testing. We've, we've seen that right here in our home state. We don't have enough tests. We don't have enough tests. Well, now, lo and behold, corporations are actually sponsoring at these meatpacking plants that you talked about. Mm-hmm. They're sponsoring actually intra-company testing. Mm-hmm. And guess what's happened? The more you test for something, what happens? The more of it you always the get. The more of it you already get. Yeah. And I'm already seeing leftists here in Iowa. And you've seen this all across the country as well. Whoever's listening and watching this right now, you've seen this all across the country as well. Now that we have more tests, we have more positives. And now that we have more positives, leftists are thinking, oh my goodness, we have more po-. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everything on Team Lockdown. They want it to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. It's the silly circle of draining, draining, um, you know, circling the drain, I should say. The silly circle of of the drain. And that's what that's what the end game is for them. Most of them are still drawing a check while that's exactly million right. Americans are out of work. And one of the ways most of them are drawing a check are by are by promoting and pursuing lockdown for ebbs, or at least until November 4th. If you know what I'm saying. Okay. So um, they lost this argument. I don't, you know, folks that I've been working with on this story around the country, I was, we were strategizing yesterday. I, I told them, I, I think it's irrelevant at this point to argue with them. Um, we've already established the premise of our argument, the whole conversation now. I mean, Georgia is a state that still hasn't been as hard as the model said it was going to be, but has been hit relatively hard compared to what most states in America have been hit. And I mean, their governor has put forth a fairly reasonable plan for beginning the reopening process yesterday. All right. Our premise has won. All right. The whole argument now is about safely reopening. Arguing with team lockdown at this point is arguing down and a loss leader and a waste of your time. Uh, I would just let them argue with themselves and continue pointing out to the people that are making the decisions and are now accepting our premise why they should go forth with it all the more. Stay tuned. All right, reality check. How many of you are concerned about the calorie intake because of the quarantine? That should be a lot of us. All right. So we're just not as active as we need to be. We weren't as active as we needed to be before we were put in quarantine as a society. We were too docile uh, as it was and sedentary before this began. This certainly has not helped. That's why if you're struggling I mean, let's face it, I'm just sitting around here on Netflix and chill. What else is there to do other than eat? If you're worried about that, contact our friends over at Riduzone because they produce the only FDA-accepted product that includes what's called OEA. That's the naturally occurring molecule that helps you feel full faster so that you can burn stored fat and reduce your calorie intake. All right, if you're wondering why you're skinny, buddy, can you eat all that food? And at least you think he's eating all that food. Um, but your skinny buddy can eat and doesn't get any weight. And it doesn't seem to work for you. Well, you're still probably eating more than your skinny buddy is. Let's just be honest about that. You're also not as active as he is, right? So you've got to balance that out. And that's where RidUZone comes in. Because it's often not what you're eating, but how much 
All right, how much you're eating, get those cravings and portion sizes under control with Riduzone. Now you can only get it on their website at riduzone.com, R I D U Z O N E, R I D U Z O N E for riduzone.com. Go there right now, use the promo code Steve, and you'll get up to 65% off your first order plus free shipping. Up to 65% off your first order plus free shipping when you go to riduzone.com, promo code Steve. All right, let's get to it. Fake news or not. And again, we don't worry about fact-checking propagandists. We're more interested in finding out are the people who claim to be the ones that actually represent some form of common sense, objective truth, are they actually fake news or not? I've selected a series of clips that we will review here this week, and then Todd and Aaron will give their verdicts and why, beginning with this one. But I think we should have this discussion a year from now. Let's let's decide that. We do this on the 17th of April, 2021. Mm. I think that the difference between countries would be quite small in the end. So that you don't think that the severity of the, these intervening measures are going to make that much difference? No, I don't think so. I so, think, actually, should I tell you what I really think? Please. I, I almost never do this. I think what we're seeing is a tsunami of a usually quite mild disease, which is sweeping over Europe. And some countries do this and some countries do that and some countries do, don't do that. And in the end, there would be very, very little difference. So when you say it's a usually quite mild disease, are, are you, what do you mean by that? That most people who get it will never even notice they were infected. All right, that's the godfather of uh, Sweden's uh, plan, which is far more laissez-faire than what most of the rest of the Western world is doing. He's also the original founding director of the Center, European Union's Center for Infectious Diseases, giving an interview in English and talking about how their data shows I no approach either theirs or lock everything down and end your way of life indefinitely will have will, will be that much of a difference in terms of what the mortality and hospitalization rates are uh, one year from now when we've had all this data come in. Do you think that's fake news or not? Aaron, I'll let you go first. That is not fake news. Uh, that's that squares with the more lucid uh, the, the the more lucid analysis of the actual of the actual disease of the actual virus, not models of the actual virus that we've gotten. That squares with every single analysis analysis of the virus and how other coronaviruses spread in the past. Notice that there seems to be seems to be a foundational difference between the epidemiologists and the doctors and the experts. When it comes to this virus, some use the foundation of what have past coronaviruses done. What do we know about them? How do they impact people? Some people start at the actual virology level. That's their foundation for building their analysis. And some, it seems like, and this has been borne out across the Western world. You mentioned the Imperial College uh, London uh, study and model that's been completely debunked multiple times over now. Some people start with their baseline, their foundation for their analysis and their public policy of what is the worst case scenario. There's a huge, huge difference, obviously, there. Now, I think what sets this analysis apart is that this, this guy is basically saying... Once this virus, once a virus starts somewhere, 
especially in our world now, once a virus starts, good luck containing it. It's it's almost impossible. It just has to run its course. That's base. That's the that's the that's the long and short of what we just heard Johan Jacecki just say. That's basically what we've been saying on this show is that it's kind of a moot point. I mean, it's good that we closed off travel, but once a virus enters a population and there are different factors that can exacerbate it or that can slow it down, look at New York versus Florida, but once it's into a population, no amount of controls that we put in place is going to actually stop it in its tracks. So I thought that's lucid, definitely not fake news. And when you talk about, well, then what if we can't stop it, then why do we have to close the borders? Why do we have to shut down immigration? Because viruses mutate. You get reinfections. You get new strains. Right. And the last thing you're, you're when you're already on, on the brink with your way of life, Todd, is then you restart something and then you let a new strain in that, that devastates you all the more because you didn't see it come in or you weren't prepared for it. That's why you do it. Yeah, that's not fake news. There's a giant tell in there from that man when when he says, uh. You, you know, you want me to tell you what I really think? I rarely do that, he says. And I rarely do that. <laughs> if you got that guy talking, because this is more, way more than coronavirus. This, a man like that, he's been around the block. And he, the reason he doesn't say, because he just, it doesn't matter. The way, the way people's fears are driven in healthcare, the way the, it's all funded. We know like COVID billing, it's at least 15% more. So that's, you really think that's not going to have to do with how cases are billed in this uncertain time. If you got that guy talking, he would be, you know, pull on that thread about how we view healthcare systemically across the board. Fascinating. All right. It's the Wuhan labs, not the bats. We all know, and we've known since January, that that food market in Wuhan was not the source of this virus. Chinese scientists established that more than a third of all the original cases had no contact with the food market. The best evidence suggests that the kind of bat from which this virus jumped to humans wasn't even present there. Mm. And then you have all the circumstantial evidence pointing at the labs in Wuhan. They did have those bats. They did research China, or these coronaviruses. Our diplomats in China were worried about laboratory safety there. China has a history of bad laboratory safety. All that circumstantial evidence points towards the labs. And then, of course, you have the Chinese cover-ups, the lies, the disinformation, the intimidation of any potential whistleblowers. That's why the most plausible explanation for the origins of this virus is one of those two labs in Wuhan. All right, that's Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas. Todd, you get to go first this time. Fake news or not? That is not fake news at least from the perspective of where we've been on this show for now more than a month about asking questions i mean a month ago we were talking about uh the the possible viability of the wet markets we didn't say that was crazy talk or anything like uh that but at the very same time we were talking about the labs ask the questions demand the data a lot of people instantly were saying no to do such things is racist along both fronts. We did. I did. I never doubted. I never believed the wet market thing was remotely possible all along. I, I no. Thought, we, well, we talked about the you talked about the about how open food and ticks and all that stuff. I mean, oh you, yeah, you okay, that part of it. Yeah, yes, that part. Yes, yeah. I mean, it just, but it it has to do with 
just begging questions the the more questions you ask before you have certainty gets you to certainty quicker if you are if you if you weigh and measure all the options right. available to you i mean and so that's the standard i view tom cotton was just doing it from the beginning and instantly acting like he was a madman that just shows how stupid that was and how biased and the agenda of those who would do it is just cancerous the last time we had a Tom Cotton clip on fake news or not was February 18th. So that's a little more than two months ago now. And it's Cotton talking about the numbers coming out of China at that point. And I think in unison, all three of us, were uh, Cotton was saying there's no way they have this few numbers coming out of there. And I think in unison, in unison, uh, we all said that's not fake news either. There, there's got to be a lot more cases and mm-hmm. probably a lot more deaths and I, I, I believe I believe the uh, conclusion, the conclusion that we drew from that was, well, why would they be lying about this then? I think this, again, this pattern of behavior that we've seen from China, I'm, I'm going to say it now, it's, it's not fake news, what we just heard from Tom, Tom Cotton. I've been thinking about this more, and it's just they can't afford, or they believe, they believe that they cannot afford either of the alternatives either there's a nefarious activity going on at the lab or they screwed up royally and can't even protect themselves they can't even protect an intern working on this virus that's why you've seen all of these crazy conspiracy theories and this war of propaganda coming out of china because either of those two options i mean if i was if i was uh if I was Xi Jinping, I would rather people think that this was a biological weapon than it was that we just screwed up our PPE. Like I, I cut a, a little piece of my, uh, you know, my gown on the way into the, the laboratory. I would rather the world think that. But uh, apparently the CCP doesn't want anybody thinking that. And that's why you come up with it. Well, the U.S. actually seeded this virus here. All that is to say, all that is to say what Tom Cotton said is not fake news. There is it's it's growing. And the fact that we see so many we did an internal investigation, China says we didn't do anything. That is that's all that you basically need to know about this. It's it's ninety nine percent sure, in my opinion, that this came from the lab. Next, the media narrative. When President Trump made his plan for how to reopen the, the economy and how different people should be responding to data, it, it seemed almost difficult to criticize it. But we do have a media that seemed to criticize literally anything that President Trump will say about this. And they also have a particular bias, I think, against reopening the economy. For some reason, they really seem to think that this shutdown needs to last for an incredibly long period of time, perhaps until a vaccine is found. It's just not great that everybody in the media seems to share this bias and be so opposed to ending the economic catastrophe, even as we're all concerned about the global pandemic. Molly Hemingway at The Federalist. What do you think, Todd, fake news or not? It's only fake news from the perspective that Molly just decided to be a really unnecessarily nice person there because us underneath, I mean, there's there's napalm in there that's worthy of that Nancy Pelosi commercial, so she just held back. I'll just call it fake news from that perspective, because they're, normally she's way more salty. Aaron? Yeah, she buried the lead there. Uh, I mean, this is not, uh, well, th- this is not media bias, this is enemy media. Alright, the president asserts two things. Can they both be done? Governors across the country are looking forward to phase one and announcing plans for an economic resurgence. We're going to have a resurgence to 
At a time when millions of American workers and families are struggling with the financial consequences of the virus, it's critical to continue the medical war while reopening the economy in a safe and responsible fashion. All right, Aaron, can we do both of those things at once? Were we doing both of those things at once uh, before this pandemic? That's your turn to answer. Yes. Okay. Todd? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's like this is a false choice. Like, we have to choose one or the other. Gotcha. Todd? The economy or the virus, this is, we're just back. That we can do both of these things at once. We can be medically uh, professional and responsible while also realizing we, we cannot allow a depression to continue, let alone occur. What were you just saying earlier about the right reason and the real reason? Mm-hmm. I think we're here. It's, I'm no, I don't know. I mean, yes, adults can. I don't know if we have enough of those. I just don't. All right. So fake news for you? Yeah. Okay. One last clip. Can you sue China? As the U.S. government carries on investigating, Americans across the nation are really seeking now legal remedies of their own. We have learned of at least seven federal civil lawsuits launched targeting the Chinese government, seeking reparations of trillions of dollars in damages. These launched in just the last few weeks. We'll keep you updated on developments there, Bill. Todd, what do you think? Suing China. Well, I'll... It's not fake news from the perspective of we're going to wipe out our debt and call it a day. But this, you know, more formally speaking, uh, I'm dubious. I mean, what the the WHO on the healthcare side was totally like garnish China's GDP. Well, that's you you just arrest China. The debts. Well, the the debts. I don't know. I'm asking. What's the enforcement? Who's well? Who's the objective arbiter to even get to the point where I mean, that they those that, the what world court is just absolutely going to even now they're not going to go all in the Bill Gates of the world aren't going to side with America over China in, in, undeniably I so I just sooner or later how many just federal can, judges wouldn't prefer to be living in China yeah so I think you just say no more debt all right Aaron what do you think. Agreed. I think the biggest, the uh, bit, biggest middle finger to China would be to uh, to localize and and uh, bring back all of the infrastructure, all of the infrastructure that we've sent over there over decades. That's that's the biggest that's the biggest middle finger I think you could give to to China in the long term. What do you think of his idea? I'm. It, I mean, he, he I, said middle if, figure to China, so you know. I mean, they, I, I would let me let me clarify. <laughs> the substance that. after that yeah. didn't of, matter to you; it was irrelevant. I, the, let me clarify that as well. I, I think that's the that's the only attainable or realistic idea that I have. I mean, if it, if I had my way, just completely cut China, just completely cut China. We are we are are we not capable capable? Didn't say willing, capable of actually doing everything we have China do for yes, us. Yes, we could. We could. It would be a lot more expensive because the American worker requires a, a, a higher quality right. of living than the, the Chinese uh, sweatshop workers do. So if I had it my way, I would just, you know, I, I would I would send. I don't want to say that out loud. I, I would I would make sure that China was never a threat militarily or economically to us ever again. 
here's the thing about suing China. It, 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 it underneath all that is this assumption of this this world common yeah. sense. Yeah, we that does not exist. No, much of the world is against us. It's a zero sum game. All right, we're going to switch gears and look at this more domestically. When we come back, our buddy Mark Meckler from Convention of States is going to join us. Uh, he's got an effort going on right now. Open the states. So we're going to talk about that. Some states announced yesterday they're going to do that. What's his take on that? We'll get to that and more next. Stay tuned. We're back with Hour 2 live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre and you as well. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And don't forget, if you're looking for clips of this show that you can sample and share with others, go to YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. That's YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. And finally, if you do listen to this podcast, please, first of all, thank you, but please consider leaving us, if you haven't done so already, a five-star review because the more of those we get, it helps the show to grow. Uh, The more you like it, the more the algorithms that now run our very lives seem to like us. And then the more the benevolent overlords here at The Blaze, they will like us too. And I think the last thing America needs right now is three more unemployment claims, all right? So keep those five-star reviews coming, and thank you to all of you that have submitted one already. If you haven't yet, what are you waiting for? We're not doing much else right now, all right? So keep those five-star reviews coming. All right, let's uh, let's get to Pop Culture Tuesday, brought to you by Brickhouse Nutrition. You know, with all the talk about coronavirus, people have stopped talking about the flu and all that other stuff, even though uh, it's still going on right now. That season's not over yet. One of the best ways to avoid getting sick is to have a healthy immune system, which is why take you should be considering fortifying your body with Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. It's the only way I can get our son Noah to drink his vegetables because he certainly will not eat them. But he does like drinking a Field of Greens. Mixes it in with his favorite tea. You put it in with any water-based drink. And there you go. USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables, which boost energy and supports a healthy immune system. All right, so you'll get those prebiotics and probiotics and, and vitamins and neutral and, and neutrals, vitamins and nutrients and fiber that's missing from a lot of our diets today uh, as that stuff gets stripped down for mass consumption and long shelf lives. If you want to give Field of Greens a shot right now, you can save 15% off of your first order with the offer code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. Use the offer code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com and get 15% off your first order. And if you if you enjoy Enjoy it and you want to make this a regular and, and ship to your house on a regular basis, 10% off every month uh, for your subscription every month as well. So 10% off your subscription every month or 15% off just trying it for your first time at BrickHouseSteve.com, promo code Steve. All right, so looking for stuff and shows to watch right now. And I mean, there's just not a lot I'm really interested in right now. Um, and I refuse to do what, what was that thing? Tiger Lily? What's it called? Tiger King. Tiger King. Thank you. I, I, I couldn't remember if it was Tiger Lily or Burger King and it turns out it was Tiger King. So there you go. I, I, that's, I'm a pass. If nothing else, it's so trendy now that I'm, you know, 
the dude code says, I just can't jump on the bandwagon now that everybody else is doing it. You know, I got to kind of, the dude code, now, there is a time that the dude code calls for a, a certain amount of sneering because the dude code is heavily weighted towards contrarianism and not joinerism. Doesn't mean you don't ever join, but the dude code urges you to, to, to be far more of a contrarian than a joiner. Agreed? Yeah, yeah. I can go with that. Yeah. So, um, this is a time that I think the dude code calls for a certain amount of sneering. So I just won't watch it now out of spite because it's what most of team, uh, lockdown for Evja all, uh, was talking about. That might be more the Steve code than the dude code. <laughs> let's be frank. Well, sometimes they're, it's difficult to know which one is which, <laughs> but, um, uh, I'm looking for stuff to watch, man. And Noah and I are totally copying um, you and your wife by going through all the Marvel movies mm -hmm. in order. I, I mean, I love the Captain America movies. I mean, I love Captain America. It was one of my favorite heroes growing up. Just, But I just watched the first Avenger last night all the way through. I haven't watched it all the way through stem to stern in several years. I mean, I just adore that movie. I watched it's it like fun. three weeks ago. It's just yeah. fantastic. It just nails the period of time. Uh, I mean, it, it's just it's just a phenomenal film. It's just so much fun. And it's um, it's hopeful in a slightly innocent but not naive way, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And um, so I found this documentary on Amazon. And when I saw who produced it, I thought, okay, I, I have got to watch this. Because it's produced by Vice. And I don't know much about them other than in my channel guide. It seems like all of the shows in my channel guide for DirecTV on the Vice channel are either about weed or um, uh, chick sex toys. I mean, I, I don't know if they do any other shows other than about weed and chick sex toys. Okay. At least that's whenever I'm on the guide, that's all that's that's for, for channel vice. That's all that's in the, that's all that they talk about. So when the channel of weed and vibrators decided to tackle the question of Satan, I'm sorry. I could not resist. <laughs> all right. And so the name of this documentary, cause you know, I am always fascinated by what the broader and larger culture thinks of these existential types of themes and issues and how they approach them, how they address them when they, tr when they choose to, because often they would prefer not to, they would often prefer to act as if these, these dilemmas don't exist. These debates aren't here, right? So that we can focus more on the weed. All right. So I couldn't resist. I, I bought this and I even bought it because it was 10 bucks. I like, okay, I've got, it. it's five episodes, two bucks an episode. If I rented it, I, I got to see what this is about. And it's about a guy named Pazuzu. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> it's the name he gave himself. His real name, I think, is Johnny. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> it's Pazuzu, a.k.a. Johnny down the block. And Aaron's like, oh, okay. I love, I don't know what he's talking about. Aaron already knows and is tapped out too. So should we just leave the room? <laughs> so just to recap, <laughs> the channel known for, for feminine, feminine sex, toy, sex toys and weed uh, shows, it wants to now suddenly take a large leap 
I mean, at least dip your toe in the water a little bit. You know, is there an afterlife? Now we're going to go right to the mouth of madness. We're going to go right there to Satan. We're going to go right there. I think you right? did watch Tiger King because this pretty much was the plot of Tiger King. Well, I don't know that Tiger King is uh, tackling some of the themes that come up in this one. Okay. And, 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 it's, and the object is about a guy named Johnny who changed his name to Pazuzu. All right. Except this is a true story out of Winston-Salem, North Carolina a few years ago. And this guy is a, is a murderer, maybe a serial killer. And we don't really know because he, he pulled an Epstein and killed himself. But the way that they're claim, the police are claiming that he killed himself it is, are you ready for this? Clearly not. The way the police in Winston-Salem are claiming that Pazuzu killed himself once he was arrested, is that he bit, he ate his own arm so that he could sever an artery. He bit into his own arm deep enough to sever an artery and bleed out. That's how they're saying he killed himself. Okay, I'm in. All right, so now you're in. <laughs> now you're in. Um, now... They don't want to let you see like any of the autopsy photos or with the because you would think that would spurt blood all over the cell. Right. OK, so they won't let you they don't want to show you any of that evidence. But that is the official story. Now, let me say this. If you are a member of the Winston-Salem Police Department and you are listening to this right now or know of one, I am not taking Vice's word for this as gospel. I'm just I don't know the story. I had not known the story even though we were on the air every night live for three hours on Winston in Winston-Salem. That was one of our best affiliates when we were just a radio show. And we got calls from there all the time. No one ever called us about Pazuzu or emailed us about it. But apparently this was a big story down there, according to Vice. And, this, and Johnny Pazuzu... When was this, by the way? Just a few years ago. Okay. Uh, this story went from 2011 to 2015. Hmm. So we absolutely would have been live on the air every night during that time period in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And uh, this guy lived in, a, in a, his house is still there. He lived in a house in a Winston-Salem suburb. And he turned it into an homage to the devil. And this was well known in the neighborhood. And, you know, teenagers would go there to act out, to rebel. Death metal played all, you know, it, it, it crushing volumes all night long. It was a, it, 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 the place was scurvy. It looked like a, you know, a, right out of the, a, you know, the, the show Hoarders um, that my wife likes to watch because she's like studying uh, the people that get caught up in this. Um, and I think she's also fascinated by somebody who's the exact opposite of her husband. I mean, our trash can is full to the brim every week. Every week, people got to ask themselves, what in the world goes on at your home? Every week, our trash has trash piled up over the top because anything we're not, you throw it all away. Keep nothing. I'm the exact opposite. I don't keep anything I don't need right now. Chuck it. All right. So I think that's why my wife is fascinated by these hoarder shows because she has lived with the antithesis of this for the last uh, almost 25 years now. So, um, I mean, they did rituals, they did drugs, he'd try to put on um, uh, orgies. I mean, just, I mean, this was, and apparently this was like well-known in this neighborhood in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, that this was going on. Um, and I think this, the vice tries to make it look as if 
the neighborhood tolerated this, but because um, they thought this guy was just acting out for attention. You know, he was pulling a, you know, an Ozzy Osbourne from back in the day or Marilyn Manson kind of an act. But this wasn't real, even though he had been charged with beating his mom who lived in this home with him. He'd been charged for assaulting his mom. He had a harem of girlfriends that he called his fiancés. And one of them assaulted his mother, physically assaulted his mom, too. And where this whole thing blows up one night. I mean, the cops would call all the time or get called all the time. They, they just would not shut this guy down. Again, this is according to the documentary. I don't know what's true or what's not. All right. And what, what ended up blowing this thing up is one night, one of his friends were over there and the documentary never explains why this occurred. But they cut off his extremities, including his genitalia. They had him strung up in the home. They cut off his extremities, including his genitalia, and then they shot him. And the mom hears the gunshot. She's getting ready to go to work in her bathroom. She hears the gunshot, comes out, and they tell her, nothing. it's all good, no problem, just a firecracker or something. She goes back in and gets ready for work and then just goes to work like nothing's going on. And a woman whose dad helped Johnny Pazuzu bury the body and her dad told her about it. She went to the police and the police, she says, did not listen to her. They, they went over there. They literally asked, hey, do you have a body in the backyard? The, the documentary claims this is what Winston-Salem police did. They went over and asked the murderer, do you have a body buried in your backyard? He said, no. Okay. And that was literally about it. And then they came back with cadaver-sniffing dogs, although the, the uh, NC State University that had supplied the police department in Winston-Salem with these dogs told them up front that, you know, they're not wholly reliable. But because the cadaver dogs didn't smell anybody in the backyard, again, they just let this go on. And, th- and so he then w- continued doing these outrageous acts for several more years murdered at least another young man, this time a black young man that he essentially coerced um, and cornered and then murdered. May have, then he he talked about, you know, he used to murder and experiment and practice on homeless people and things of that nature in Winston-Salem. And then, uh, and then uh, uh, this finally went so far that the, um, the ex-girlfriend who had a child with the boy, with the guy that was dismembered and then murdered, had pushed the police so far and local authorities so far that they finally went over there and dug up his backyard and found the remains of her boyfriend, her former boyfriend, the father of her child, and found what was really had really been going on in this home the entire time. Now, those are the the basic facts according to this documentary. And but now what's what's from a worldview standpoint. What's fascinating was watching the which was watching Vice attempt to negotiate this and how they were going to portray it. And much of this documentary, kind of the hero contact of the documentary, is a guy that writes, you know, every city has these alternative, you know, free newspapers because apparently the local publication is corporate leftist 
the big newspapers, not leftist enough because it's corporatized right here in our town. It's called city view, but there's one of these and every, every metropolitan country, city has one of these alternative, you know, far left publications. Right. And the one in Winston Salem was called the camel city news. I believe is what it was called. And you see most of the story through the eyes of the reporter at, at that publication who wrote and broke much of this story. Um, and it's, and there's other factors of this, like the, the two of his fiancés, it's kind of, he basically tried to start his own, like man, Charles Manson kind of cult, two of his fiancés that were in on it with him miraculously each gained like a hundred pounds in prison. I mean, they each did like both of these women did like gained a hundred pounds in prison and nobody can explain how this happened. I mean, I, I, did you know prison food was this good? I did not. Yeah, I, I I didn't know you went to prison to gain weight, but, you know, I don't know. I, I never watched Orange is the New Black either, so I don't know what chick prison culture is like. But his his, his fiancés were like, I mean, they, they went from skinny to morbidly obese while in prison, awaiting their trial. And so people are then wondering, is that really the same people? Does that kind of seem sketch, right? Whatever. So... The, to me, what's the most fascinating about it, other than the case itself, with with um, it, it's the hysteria that it produced in the community, is how Vice chooses to navigate this acknowledgement of evil. And the the documentary starts off by pointing out how evangelical the community is. It says that right, in, like in its opening frame. And as it goes on. The gentleman at the Camel City News that is sort of your point person, your guide on this throughout this story. He keeps he 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 keeps denying that evil exists. There's no such thing as the devil. There's no such thing as evil. He says this verbally out loud several times. It's a five episode documentary. He says this outside out 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 loud several times. This isn't just like one rant. It's a reoccurring theme. He repeats this a few times uh, during the course, pardon me, the course of the story. Society is to blame for allowing this to occur. I mean, how, and the implication is clearly how did this evangelical community, all, how'd you all you churchgoers who claim to be really sensitive about this stuff, how did you allow this to go on this entire time? Why didn't you step in beforehand? Now, I actually think that criticism is somewhat fair. I mean, if, 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 if we as a church are not equipped to confront what was going on in this suburban Winston-Salem home, and we're not equipped to do it in a place like North Carolina, heart of the Bible Belt, home of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, if, 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 even, if we're going to look at that in our own neighborhoods, when it's that out in our, right in our faces, and we're going to be like, you know what, I got other problems, I don't want to get involved, or, you know, this is just a kid acting out, you know, then I don't, I don't blame the guy at the Camel City News whatsoever for not, uh, for not trusting us. I don't. Do you? I don't. Oh, I'll let, oh, for starters, yeah. Okay. I all think right. that's all right. I, but, but when we get to what the remedy should be, what do you think the remedy should be? Uh, more government. Even though they point out they don't trust the police. They didn't trust the DA's office. Didn't think so. 
the DA's office and police, who do they, who do they, what, what, what part of society do they work for? The government. They are the government. They didn't trust the prison system that this guy really killed himself by biting so hard into his arm to sever an artery and then just bleed out. They don't, they don't buy that either. All right. So it's the same people that don't buy the official government story that they were given or lack thereof. They think the remedy here is because the church can't be trusted. The church didn't step in all the, all these churchgoers in this community who they live in this neighborhood. And this is a, this is a residential neighborhood. Okay. I mean, his, his home is surrounded by other homes. You would know what was going on there. It's unavoidable to know. I mean, at least the music, the, some, the music, I mean, the, the amount of drugs, everything else was going on. You could not, you could not live in that neighborhood and not be aware something bad was going down. Even if you didn't think it was like ritualistic sacrifice, but something bad was happening. Remember the stories of uh, the, 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 the Columbine kids and the, we wondered what the parents were doing the entire time. They finally catch up with his mom at the end. She's nuts. I mean, she's, she just calls him by Johnny. Even though he assaulted her, she lived in this home and this was all going on. She just chose to create an alternative existence like this can't possibly be happening. And so the, the solution is, so the church gets all the blame at the beginning because the church let this go on in this quiet suburban Christian community. And, and throughout the story, you know, when, the, when they show you like some of the most depraved things that went on, all the drugs, you see people do heroin and everything else. When They'll intersperse clips of like Faith of July parade in Winston-Salem, you know, where the military's out instead of the 4th of July, it's the Faith of July. You know, Christian America, Christian America could not save you from Pazuzu. They, they wouldn't even confront the real evil that they claimed exists that we deny. I think there's some legit criticism there. I wouldn't buy it whole cloth, but I think there's some legit criticism. I mean, have we not been frustrated at times with our on our show? Oh, with yes. an unwillingness of the church to step up to the plate in some of these arenas? Oh, yes. Okay. So I think there's some legit criticism there. But then what is the alternative? The alternative is to get more, give over more trust and more in and 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 more oversight to the government that you state you don't trust. And then they say, hey, you know, we, society needs to be more involved in reaching people like Johnny Pazuzu. And what you find out at the end is that this guy from the Camel City News, that's kind of the point person on this story, what you find out at the end is his own son has gotten involved in drugs. And he has gotten so frustrated with it that he assaults him. And... I'm actually sympathetic to him as a dad. I, I absolutely could see how, how any dad, I don't care what your belief system is, you tried reason to, to, to reach your son. And then sooner or later, man, every dude at some point in their lives needs their ass whooped. I'm sorry, it's just true. And I'm not actually sorry, not sorry. It is true that every dude at some point in his life needs an ass whooping. Literally or figuratively, but at some point needs to be, needs to be broken that there are things at work here bigger and more powerful than you. Needs to be humbled on that level. Now, this dad took it literally and got charged and everything else. And you see him, he's like writing stories about this and like doing bourbon shots, you know, from, I mean, this guy's clearly, 
you know, uh, is, is not a is is not um, a pillar of society, shall we say? But that's okay. Except if all of society is broken, as he points out, then whom in society would come forward? If society is is irrevocably broken, as he says it is, this is even getting into his home now, this drug culture. And he's a hip-happening parent. You know, he, he talks, he grew up a hippie, he talks about this stuff openly with his kids and why it's bad, relates to his kids, right? He's not standoffish, he's an active dad, and even his dad comes home, or even his son comes home, bugged, you know, his eyes all bugged out, stoned. It, how do you simultaneously claim society is irrevocably broken, but then claim society must step in and relieve one another's burdens at this level? How do you simultaneously claim that the government could not be trusted, but the remedy here is that we actually get more of it? How do you simultaneously claim these things? The answer is you cannot. They don't hold up to any form of logical argumentation for a nanosecond. But when you remove a God and objective evil from the equation and you try to rationalize how that mom allowed that to go on in her home, she even admits at the end she actually saw what they were doing and still just, whatever. I, I, yeah, I, I just, I couldn't accept my son would do this, so I just went on with my life. And, and her home, this home that she's now moved into is literally a shrine to her kid. They never tell you, was there some, was there some abuse or something? Like they can't point to one particular thing that caused him to snap. Guess what other question never gets asked in the whole documentary? Where's dad? Right? That's never asked. It's never asked. Where's dad? And I was just fascinated by their attempt to actually take a look at objective evil, then explain it away that that's not what it is, and then the alternative remedies they attempted to come up with, other than the church they say has this antiquated message they no longer trust, and doesn't, and, and since it didn't step up the first time, we don't think it has the stones to do what needs to be done right now anyway. So therefore, we need government and society to treat this like the mental illness, illness it is. That's the government that already failed us that we don't trust, and the society that we come from, and we're all broken too. Your thoughts on this, gentlemen? You've got my wheels turning while you're talking. I'm thinking about the things, the conversations we've just had in recent days about how ripe we were to get this coronavirus thing this badly because we believe things like transgenderism just before that. We, we simply do not have eyes to see and ears to hear. So then when we butcher trans, uh, uh, coronavirus and the models, the models that have maximum distancing in them, you say, well, well, but no, clearly the models were wrong just because we broke them. We, we, we did distance. We broke. No. That, and so you keep telling your things. You keep saying things. Mm -hmm. And if God is so far out of even viability as something to discuss, inevitably, you will make shows 
like this. You simply do not have eyes to see, ears to hear. There will be documentaries made by you, and if they are have a laugh track, there's going to be some very serious, ugly ones, but if they have a laugh track, it's going to be Spinal Tap. Uh, Oz goes up to 11. Well, why didn't you just make it louder and go up to 10? No! Oz goes up to 11. That's just the farcical level of denial from the get-go you have to buy into in order to make a, as you say, five, how many hours? Five parts? Is this five hours long? Yes. Which means the five amount of... hour-long episodes, 45 minutes minus commercials. The yeah. amount of man-hours then you put in to make that is a lot. Mm-hmm. And Especially you, if this is a story that evolves over the course yeah. of, of years, actually. And so you... you but you... It's totally... There's, it's not even brought up. It, it's just... The evil God, it doesn't cause they you even, to... They even honestly portray idolatry. One of the women that's addicted to heroin admits that it's her escape. It's the only time she feels whole as a person. I mean, they they admit up front so much of the laws of nature and nature's God, but then dismiss. They, they admit, they do this in reverse. They admit to all of the symptoms of the laws of nature and nature's God being ignored or violated, but then they, but they, but while accepting all of those symptoms, they refuse to accept the premise. Yeah. They refuse to accept the diagnosis, and instead, Aaron, come up with a diagnosis of let's just do more of what already failed because this time it must work. Yep, um, don't have much time. Uh, I will say this re- reminds me uh, so much on uh, more benign topics of last week tonight by John Oliver. A guy, when, when he's not, because he's a leftist, but when he's not trolling his political opposition and actually looking at issues that I think uh, most people would agree are actual issues or problems, when he's doing stories on that, almost... Every single time, and I I watch some of these clips because he does it in a very entertaining way, but almost every single time it fits the same same MO. That is, government created the problem, people created the problem. The solution, more government, Mm -hmm. more people. That's the same thing. So we just, we drain circle then. Yes. Yep, that's what we do. We'll come back more here in a moment. Stay tuned. Let's get to our good friend Mark Meckler of the Convention of States. He's got an effort going on right now to open the states. Good to see you, Mark. How are you? Excellent. I'm, you can see I'm in my coronavirus beard here, trying to go along with the look. Indeed, we are here amidst billowing clouds of coronavirus-infested air ourselves, Mark, and uh, very excited about f- further infestation. So, Mark, my first question, brother, is why do you hate your grandparents and what did they ever do to you? You know, my parents are in their 80s and they're smart enough to be on lockdown themselves. We're quarantined. In fact, I just became a fugitive. I traveled to Michigan, grabbed my daughter's stuff from Hillsdale College, drove her all the way back to Texas. So we're separated from my parents for a couple of weeks. This is what I call common sense compliance. We're using our common sense. We're doing the things we know to stay safe. We don't need the government to force us to do it. Mm. Did you look at flying to Michigan? Because those prices are really cheap right now, brother. I was actually really blessed. I had a friend that wanted to get some hours in, so we did fly, but we got to fly private out there to Michigan gotcha. and then rented the U-Haul and drove back. Governor Whitmer wasn't there. Nurse Ratchet, you going to get quarantined right when you landed? <laughs> we kept the, the U-Haul dark the whole way out. We went under <laughs> cover of darkness. We had candles inside. We were worried about being caught. We were fully camouflaged. 
And we just beeline for the border. Just so you know, in Michigan, you can no longer disguise yourself as uh, as a seeding or pottery or or potting plant company. That that actually you're the you're the number one uh, fugitive in the state of Michigan now. Uh, if you if you try to use that for your disguise, you'll have to come up with something else next time. I think you can describe her best. We call her Witless Whitmer around here because I mean the woman is dumb as a stump. It's absolutely incredible, and there's nothing worse than a dumb tyrant. So let's get to that then. Yesterday, we had uh, Tennessee, Georgia, um, and Georgia, none of these states, not even New York City, has been hit as hard as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation forecasted they were all going to be. But uh, as it relates to most of the rest of the country, Georgia has been hit harder than most of the rest of the country. And still, its Governor Kemp came out yesterday, what I thought a very... Uh, a, a prudently aggressive is maybe the way I would describe it. A prudently aggressive plan of getting his state back to normal. West Virginia, which was one of the last states to record a coronavirus case, just in the last hour, their governor has said, all right, enough is enough. Um, so we're beginning to organically see these kinds of efforts. So where does open the states come in? What do you guys want to see? What's the mission? Look, I think it's exactly what you're saying. When you were around at the beginning of the Tea Party movement, a lot of people will say I'm one of the people who helped start it. It's not really true. What we did is we provided a place for this organic movement that was bubbling in America to reside online. And that's what OpenTheStates.com is. People can go there. They can click on their state. They can see what the efforts are going on in their states. We're going to shortly have news feeds there. So they'll see all the news about their states and what's going on nationally. There'll be forums there that people can participate in. This is just a place for folks to reside online safely away from the censorship of Facebook, where they can communicate with other people in this movement to get the states and their municipalities to open up in a wise and prudent way. So I just went through, my wife just sent me something that our home state of Iowa is initiating, and that's to amp up its testing. And the, and they want you to take a questionnaire to, to have you be screened if you should take a, a test for SARS-2 coronavirus or COVID-19. And... My concern with this approach, and our governor has been a good governor, okay? She's been a lot better governor than I thought she was going to be. And she's like been, and and I and I, I don't want to put it that way because my expectation levels for politicians in general is really low. So that almost seems like faint praise. She's been an objectively good governor, all right? I, let me just put it that way. She's been an objectively good governor. But I am I am concerned about the way that she is messaging this testing that they're looking for symptomatic people or people who might be, um, um, uh, you know, uh, pre-symptomatic. Because if if you're waiting your test on the symptomatic, which is what we did in this country for the first month, and I get it, you know, we, we had to see what the mortality rate was and get this thing under control. I understand that. But for the first month, Mark, half of all testing in America was done in New York State. Well, if you're going to, if, if half of all your testing is done in the state where the number one hot zone is, all of your numbers are going to be biased towards the negative because that's who you're primarily testing, right? And so my concern is in our state, far as I know anyway, there's no active antibody testing being done. And so instead we want to screen, we're now going to actively look for people who think they may have it. And if you do that without without the accompanying antibody test, I think you know where, you're, where I'm going with this. Oh, yeah. We're going to get a one-sided, oh my goodness, I cannot believe this huge spike in cases in Iowa. Well, anytime you test for anything, you're going to get more of it. It doesn't tell me necessarily if, I've, if, if I'm 
if I'm past symptomatic or I'll never get symptoms, it doesn't, we're not going to find out the word antibody. I just took the online screening during the break. So, so I could walk myself through this. The word antibody is never featured anywhere in any of the online screening at all. So if we're going to base in Iowa, whether to reopen the state based on that sample, it's going to give us the most negative numbers possible. Yeah, look, and I think this has been the problem from the start. I think the testing is being done incorrectly. Of course, it's important to know if you're symptomatic, get a test so you know you're not out infecting people. But the antibodies are what are most important because that tells us what percentage of the population has been infected with the disease and is now immune to the disease. And really, if you want to prevent a continuing pandemic, you need a firewall. You And the firewall is us, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's a human mm-hmm. firewall. And what I mean by that is the more people who've been infected – the more people who can't infect others. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. we want people to be able to go out back into society. What we want to see is, do we have a lot of people who've been infected and now cannot infect others, cannot carry the disease? That's what we should be focusing on right now. That's what's going to give us a realistic picture of what our country looks like. For example, they just closed one of the big lakes here in my hometown of Des Moines. I mean, my daughter and her boyfriend have gone down there walking around for miles several times. I mean... To me, I think that's actually the dumbest thing they could do. We need to do the exact opposite. We need to get more people out in the sun, in the warmth, particularly because who's going to go out there? The healthier people, the younger people with all those vibrant immune systems, they're going to be the most inclined to be out there. Keeping them all at home is delaying the process that you're describing. Yeah, look, and I think there's one more step to this in the analysis that's really important. This is the one that most politicians aren't willing to talk about, and that is what it's doing to us to stay home, what it's doing to our economy. Of course, I think that's obvious. We have the largest economic devastation we've seen in the history of the United States of America. Nobody knows ultimately how this unfolds. We do know 22 million people filing for unemployment in the last three weeks. We do know millions upon millions of small businesses shuttered A lot of them may be permanently. I've heard stats. 30% will never reopen. Mm -hmm. It's remaking our economy. What's really important about that, Steve, are the health effects, stress, people engaging in substance abuse at much higher rates, depression at much higher rates, spousal abuse, child abuse. You lock people in their home and you tell them there's no hope of going back to work anytime soon. Then we're going to have a real health epidemic that unfolds out of that. Mark, in New York City, 4.9% of the deaths there from coronavirus are to people uh, 44 and younger, 4.9%. 73 point something percent of the deaths were to people 65 and older, and among them, 80% of them had pre-morbidity or a pre-existing condition of some kind. Why have we kept all of those people then, with all of that health, kept them at home, And within indoor climate controlled environments where studies from now four different countries show that's actually where SARS viruses are the most contagious is in those kinds of environments. Look, because fear is a better narrative than anything else. It spreads more quickly. Fear is like a virus. And so when you promote fear, when you promote panic, Prudent people get scared. A lot of people get panicked. And so they want to stay home. They're, they become malleable. That's when the people become sheep if you make them scared. And that's largely what's happened here. And, and by the way, I'm not imputing bad motive. I think a lot of this has been driven by medical professionals. And we have to remember the medical professional's only job is to protect health. 
to protect life. It's not to balance with anything else. It's not to worry about, you know, if you're if you're a doctor in a hospital, you're not worried about the psychological aspects of economic devastation. You're not thinking about addiction. You're not thinking about unemployment. So we need a balance. We haven't had a balance. All we've had is fear, fear, fear. And and one more thing, Stephen, I think this is really important. A scientist in Israel now has come out with a study showing what happened in countries where they locked down versus ones they didn't. And the progression of the disease is exactly the same. Peak at six weeks, flatlining roughly at eight weeks, regardless of whether it's total lockdown or almost no lockdown. How do we explain Florida? I've been asking that question for for the last couple of weeks. They were one of the last states that put a shelter in place. My home state of Iowa still doesn't have one, but Florida was one of the last states that did have one to put one in place. Uh, Governor DeSantis was blistered all across the media for it. Uh, Look at all these spring breakers doing body shots off their butt cracks, right? We saw those viral videos and all these old people, the second largest elderly population in America lives in Florida. They're all going to die. They kept Disney World open too long, et cetera. And yet we've yet to see Florida become outside of Dade and Broward counties. We have yet to see Florida become the smoldering ash that we were promised. How do you explain that given its demographics? To me, I think the logical explanation is it's pretty much sunny and warm everywhere in Florida year round. And the virus, the SARS viruses don't like warmth and sun. We need to get our people outside out of their homes. Yeah, look, and that's backed up by what's happened in our southern hemisphere. So the southern hemisphere now moving into their winter as we move into our spring and summer. And what we saw is not much of the coronavirus in the southern hemisphere in the beginning. It's starting to ramp up down there in the southern hemisphere because it's getting cooler and people are moving indoors. So in climates where it's warmer, uh, it's, it's actually warmth and humidity the virus does not do well. So if you go to Florida, what do you get? You've got a warm, humid climate. You would expect less SARS cases across that state, less coronavirus across the state. And so I think this is important. We have to look at these on a on a one-off basis. What's going on in a state? And even within a state, what's going on in a county? Kansas is in total lockdown. Mm-hmm. And the majority of counties in Kansas have experienced exactly zero cases. Why is the whole state locked down? This is the kind of problem that people are re- reacting against. This is why we have opened the states. I mean, if you've lived in New York, if you didn't live in one of those five boroughs, if you lived in Albany or Rochester, you, by and large, other than you can't go anywhere, you would not know what this is about because even in, even in that state, as terrible as it's been, it's not, New York City has not been the entire state. So if I go to, if I go to openthestates.com, what happens? What do I need to look for when I go there? So there's two reasons to go there. One is if you want to know what's going on in your state or anywhere in the country, there's a map there. It's interactive. Click on your state. It'll show you the groups that are organized there. We're not organizing the groups. This is just spontaneous citizen organization. You're going to be able to connect to those groups, figure out that there are protests going on, find out what's going on in other states. The second thing, and this is really important, a very easy way to let the president know, the vice president, to let Congress know the governors, lieutenant governors, and state legislators know what you think about this, that you want to see some restrictions lifted, that you think people should be able to trust their common sense. And see, this is really important. I'm not telling people to violate CDC guidelines. That's not what we're doing. In fact, we say, use your common sense, be smart, practice an attitude of defiance. You shouldn't like it when the government's imposing on you. Whether the government's right or not, that attitude of defiance should exist. It defines us as Americans. But practice common sense compliance. If you're out in public, 
I don't recommend getting together in big groups. Wear a mask if you're going to be close to people. Stay at least six feet apart. These are the CDC guidelines. You know, don't be the idiot that gives the media the narrative that you're going around kissing people on the cheek or whatever. Mm -hmm. Be smart, but be defiant. Are you guys keeping people up to date state by state on where their state is at when it comes to uh, reopening, freedom, regulation, et cetera? Yeah, we are. We'll be having, there will be 50 state by state pages. People will be able to keep up the news on their own state right there or look at other states and, and do a comparison. This is in development right now. We threw it up as quickly as we could last week. There's another iteration probably coming out tomorrow. So it'll get more and more sophisticated. We're really worried about Facebook shutting these groups down. You know, Mark Zuckerberg came out and said, mm -hmm. bottom line, as long as it's legal, we'll let you do it. Well, that means in every state with a stay-at-home order, if groups intend to protest, that's illegal. They're ultimately going to get kicked off of Facebook. So if you want to know what's going on, go to OpenTheStates.com. Mark Meckler, OpenTheStates.com. Good to see you, my friend. Take care. Thank you, Steve. You bet. Thoughts, gentlemen. Aaron, you get to go first this time. Yeah. Um, the attitude of defiance that we talked about there uh, towards towards the end, that, that is what what we've what we've got to achieve and unfortunately I, I don't see that enough i think the perfect example of that this week were the skateboarders in la or i don't know if it was la but southern california when they had their their half pipes filled in with sand they actually converted mm -hmm. it into a dirt bike track <laughs> yes, yes that's perfect that's that now that's a kind of a benign uh look at at, at um at, at this attitude that we're talking about but my goodness my goodness, the number of people it seems that are more who are more than willing, and that that number is dwindling every day, but who are more than willing to just take it lying down. Essentially, it's it's pretty disheartening to see, and it's only propagated and perpetuated by uh, people who are who are for whatever reason completely sold out to the doomsday saying, completely sold out to the panic. And I don't know where you go to break through that, but good grief. It's got to it's got to happen sooner than later. You think talk? Well, brilliant tactically to do this open of the states. I mean, obviously uh, he's doing it because he believes in it. But you you plant that flag here doing open the states because uh, post uh, election, you're going to have an opportunity with convention of the states like you've never had before, potentially because of how people's are have been reoriented to what's important what's fundamental because of this it's it's really going to be interesting to see how much that organization is able to make uh, lemonade out of these lemons i think one of the big headlines that we're learning today and this is there's been more coming out just since we've been on the show this 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 afternoon is the is the mutation level of the virus and it, and it goes to why I told you from day one, <clears throat> pardon me, I, I told you from day one, I thought the odds of there never being a vaccine were far higher than the odds you would get one in 12 to 18 months. Why the just hunker down at home and keep printing paper money to stay out of debt strategy until the vaccine magically shows up wasn't gonna, wasn't likely to pay off. At some point, we we're going to have to understand it, that there aren't perfect outcomes east of Eden. And how did previous generations that that were confronted with Spanish flu and polio viruses, how you know how how did they reconcile those harsh realities of life 
here, this side of heaven with the fact they still had lives to live. How did they do that? We need to start taking some more pages out of that. We're now getting more and more studies showing that the SARS-2 coronavirus mutates rapidly, which is exactly what its predecessor did, which makes creating a vaccine very difficult. And it also means it's unlikely to come soon. So at some point, we just need to stand up to fear. Do it prudently, but we have to say no. John 3, 17. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.